Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. The vents are everywhere, but we're flying high, avoiding our boss trying to watch Casablanca. It's Terry Gilliam's Brazil, this week on Zach on Film. Pretty much describes my day trying to avoid my boss watching Casablanca. Um, Gilliam did say, I believe, yes, that all genre. Oh God, what was the exact quote? Something about all genres want to repeat themselves. Okay, and he's trying to show that in this film because it's very. It turns into a very noir movie. Um, a la Casablanca mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this piece. I'll find the I'll find the quote. And it's very interesting. I haven't I haven't heard him say that, but it's interesting that the noir comes up because it certainly uh, is stylized in the film. But what's interesting about Brazil is that this is the second time I've seen it. Every time I think about this film in my mind, it is high contrast black and white. Yeah. Like I mm-hmm. always forget that this movie is mm-hmm. in color. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I just always think of this movie as black and white. And yeah, it, and it is. It's very easy it's to do because it is. Film. It is a neutral film. It's not very colorful. That should tell you something about the world that he's created, because I mean, even the I mean, everything is bland in this world, right? Yeah. Uh, the meals are bland. Mm-hmm. It's like the slop that's plopped down in front of you. Everything is burnout and energy. This and following these rules and very Orwellian. Uh, in the sense of of the 1984 and the even the uh, 80s commercial, uh, the Nike was no Apple commercial. No, what is it? Apple yeah, commercial. The Apple commercial. The Apple commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much in that in that similar vein, because when they are driving away at the end of the end of the movie or part of the movie where they're driving away and you look beyond the billboards. And you see the landscape all around them. It's beautiful and wonderful. And even when uh, our hero is dreaming. Um, everything is brightly colored and very different from this very oppressed world. Well, they, the the landscape beyond the billboards is colorful at the very end, mm-hmm. but not in the middle when you look past them because right. it's very bleak. Yeah, when he's and, driving to the yeah uh, yeah, and, yeah and uh, and desert like and barren. Mm-hmm. I have some on that, but we'll, we can get to that later once we uh, let's let's lay out the framework of Brazil. First. Okay, so go for it. Uh, Brazil is the story of Sam Lowry. Who's mm-hmm. this lonely um, cog in the machine of what is the uh, giant government entity of what's the Ministry of Information? Yeah. Yes, which is well, he later joins the Ministry of Information. No, no, no. He was he's, originally he's, he's in, in, for, oh, he joins Information Retrieval. Information retrieval. Right. Okay, right. right. He's still part of the Ministry yeah. of Information. Right. Ministry of Information, by the way, one of the best villain organization names of all time <laughs> ever. Uh, so he's pretty comfortable where he's at. Doesn't really want to move up. Um, but he has been having these dreams of where he's flying a, uh, like a Da Vinci like, uh, uh, machine mm-hmm. high above the clouds. And there's this woman who is his love, who he needs to free from this g- giant samurai man. That's his dream state. Yep. Uh, eventually he sees her one day while going into work because an air has been created. Um, there was a typographical error due to a fly being swatted, and a, the wrong person was kidnapped, setting off this long course of events of uh, Sam seeing his love and uh, going out of character to get a uh, get a promotion to get different jobs. We can try to hunt her down better, and then uh, things really get crazy. So not just a fly, but a bug, a bug a in the bug. system, a bug in the system caused this causes get this it? error. Then it gets weird. 
Yeah. I, and then this is, the, <laughs> yeah. the thing that I'll say about this film, and really any Terry Gilliam film, with the exception of Time Bandits, although one could argue that the God realm in Time Bandits is like this too. Terry Gilliam creates some amazing worlds. Yep. I mean, just mind-blowingly detailed worlds. We, we, you and I recently saw Zero Theorem, right? Did you watch it? Oh, yeah. Loved uh, it. Um, we saw that. We saw the world of the future in 12 Monkeys. Did you watch that yet? I have, yeah. So have you watched all the ones that I recommended that you oh, watch yeah. in this? Okay. Yeah. Um, because the worlds that he created is just this crazy mishmash of... Th- the only way that I could describe this is um, futuristic steampunk. Because yeah. it's this combination of very futuristic pieces with old typewriters, old uh, magnifying <laughs> glass that you put in front of your, your old CRTs <laughs> from back in the day. Um, it takes place in the far-flung future world of 1939. It's <laughs> Where everything is 20 minutes from now, but also like... <laughs> well, but even, if, even in, in Zero Theorem, the world is just very bizarre yet familiar and i i love that aesthetic now i'm sure it's not terry gilliam coming up with this because he works with big teams of people i'm sure he has input because i mean if you look at he does the art the, if you yeah because if you yeah. look at the animations that he did with um, um monty, monty python. python it kind of has that similar vibe oh, to sure. it too. i mean I, I'm, I'm sure that his team has some some input in it right but, uh, terry gilliam is a guy who has a very clear and strong vision and you can really see it from one film to another. I yeah, mean, yeah. Some uh, creators, you'll watch, like uh, like a Darren Aronofsky film. Mm-hmm. Like You'll watch it, and it's like, this feels like an Aronofsky joint, but the, the iconography isn't necessarily similar. Mm-hmm. There's something about Terry Gilliam that's like, I don't know, chunky. That's like... Uh, it, like bulky and gray, even when it's, you know, bright and shiny and colorful. Yeah. Terry Gilliam's work is like a, a 70s British car. Even though it has fins, it's still got that weird kind of blocky sort of functionality to it that's really kind of frightening in a way. So anyway, go, go. sorry, Zach, go ahead with where you were taking us. Oh, no, I mean, uh, at that point, the film really gets to a point where the only way we can describe it is to really just start talking about, uh, I mean, the, the craziness of like w- the meaning of the film, what, what, what is happening, but with Lowry inside of his mind, um, what, what is he trying to represent through all the different aspects of the film? Because it really just goes off the rails and I could spend like 30 minutes trying to yeah, explain so what the movie is. For, for me, every time I watch this film, it's all about, how crazy bureaucracy has become mm-hmm. in that yes. before we can look at this, it has to get a stamp from this other place. But before you can get a stamp, you have to have this form filled out, but they're not going to give you that form if you don't have the stamp on the paper. And it, just the bureau. In fact, when um, uh, uh, Tuttle, um, Robert De Niro's character uh, eventually dies, he's literally killed by the paperwork of the mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, that's what it's, that it's always been. I don't discuss. Um, for me, there's obviously this uh, overarching hand of the government right. throughout this film, mainly through the ducks that are invading everyone's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't touch them. Don't do anything with them. Don't decorate them for Christmas. Uh, they're just there, and you just have to deal with it. There's no place you're getting away from this Ministry of Information. So there's certainly that aspect, and it's very large. To me, uh, what I, a large part of what I took away from this film was um, me reading into Gilliam's ideas on consumerism, yeah. which um, might have been s- stirred up from, I don't know if we, Zero I think we talked about it off, off air, yeah. of, uh, there's certainly some ideas of consumerism uh, in Gilliam's recent film, Zero Theorem. Uh, I think there's some more things he uh, says about I, religion in that, too. But see, that's what I thought, too. To me, I looked at Brazil, and that's a, that is a, an attack on government bureaucracy and the insanity of that. You look at Zero Theorem, and it's basically you know an attack on religion. But Gilliam's like, no, this is about consumerism and commercialism. Yeah. And you know he goes on to say that that's what Brazil's about, too, is about this yeah. love affair with technology and, and consumer technology. Yeah. I, and so I think that stuck with me while going to watch this because I picked up on a lot of uh, consumeristic ideas. I mean, uh, 
there at one point he's walking through the mall mm-hmm. and there is like an altar boy as you see at a uh, like a Catholic church. But on his banner, he's walking down the aisle with it's a it says Consumers for Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of consumerism things like we mentioned. Yeah, just buying on the, the billboards. Mm-hmm. Well, the, uh, plas- the whole plastic surgery subplot. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and the whole yeah. gift exchange. Uh, I mean, it's Christmas. This is a Christmas movie. Hey, yeah. uh, but the constant, uh, just stupid little gifts. This mm-hmm. little yes no pendulum thing. Um, right. It's just inane yeah, nothingness, but gi- people want it. The gifts thing really stuck out to me this one because no one ever even opens the gift, mm-hmm. especially because right. Sam receives a couple of them, yeah. but he never really opens them. He looks at the tag for a few, uh, but it's so crazy, that idea of he walks into his old friend Jack's office, uh, probably about the midway point of the film, mm-hmm. where he's been promoted yep. to information retrieval, uh, and he finds out Jack uh, also works for this. Mm-hmm. He knew this, but what he does is the retrieving of information from humans through torture. Right. And so he's right. taken off his bloody lab coat, and then he just reaches over to his desk and just grabs a random present. Like, oh, here you go. And right. He's just so the cool. meaningless, like, perfunctory yeah. gift. Yeah. And I, that's kind of you know a, a recurring thing in this world too. Is so much of what people do and so much of what people say really doesn't have any meaning behind it. They don't actually. You're not actually getting someone a gift to make them happy. You're not actually you know trying to make yourself into something you're not. You're not actually trying to find that girl. You're just kind of weird. And I, I think it all ties back into that expectation that the, the person is no longer important in the society. It's what they what they buy, what they do. When he's on trial, they're like, you're, you're ruining your credit rating. This is costing yeah, you right. so much money. Just yeah. confess now so you don't ruin your credit rating. So uh, the idea of that, um, you know, Terry Gilliam feels that Brazil is about consumerism, but most people take it to be a um, an attack on kind of, uh, you know, like a two-faced government or bureaucracy or yeah, all that yeah. stuff is, I think, a very interesting point and one that you, uh, Zach, as a filmmaker, need to consider. Sometimes um, you need to tone things down. I think the reason why everybody gets that from Brazil is because all of those themes are so strong. Yeah, yeah. You know, there is this oppressive government. There is this um, crazy bureaucracy. There is this thing where, like, even the smallest thing requires all these signatures. And I feel that if what he wanted was to make this thing about consumerism, then he put way too much stuff into the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, he just spent way too much time on bureaucracy and that diluted his meaning. So mm-hmm. even though it's awesome, and even though most people agree that it's awesome, mm-hmm. like, it took away from his meaning. Yeah. Do you yeah. think it's harder... This is going to be a tangent. Do you think it's harder to put out... Uh, like your idea for a film, your thesis about a film as the as the creator through the f- medium of film than it is through uh, I, I don't know a, a painting or music or something because you're dealing with so many different forms of stimuli through visual and audio. Um, I think we've talked about this before the um, fallacy of the intent of the writer or the in creator yeah, right sure, sure. Yeah. where. Well, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, he's asking from oh, be, well from the creator standpoint. Mm-hmm. Is if you are because there's a thousand reasons why people create things, right? right? Yeah. Some people want to express themselves. Well, a lot of the majority of it is self-expression of one kind or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people are like, yeah, I wanted to like in the uh, Major Spoilers podcast. We reviewed a book called Manifest Destiny, and we found all of these like hugely troubling kind of like. Uh, racial tension things between uh, Native Americans and uh, white colonists that reading from the author's intent were not there at all. Right. They just put out this book that was Lewis and Clark Monster Hunters and all of this other stuff just kind of like popped out of nowhere or, you mm-hmm. know, was just like absorbed in from like general culture. So you can like, I, I think what, what he's he's getting at is like what what is the best medium to like convey what you're trying to say or like is it harder through film um 
Yeah, uh, to a point, because I think film can so easily go into propaganda mm-hmm. because well, yes. it's such a long form. Uh, generally, I mean, generally, if you're doing a feature film, you're talking for a while. So if if you're trying to put this idea throughout the film, I mean, I think it can tip heavy-handedly pretty quick. Film is also a more of a collaborative thing, too. I mean, there are a lot more hands involved in a film who may want to, you know, adjust or work on the message. And there are a lot more people involved than if Zach wants to make a painting or write a story. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that can be a concern as well. There are basically, there are more people you have to please when you're making a movie. And there's, I mean, that's, that's actually a great point. um, Because in film, there are so many people involved and you hear that all the time, right? You Mm -hmm. talk to like, the special effects coordinator for this and that is like, oh, yeah, I based this character on my dog. It's like, well, George Lucas didn't tell that guy, base this character on your dog. He did that. So he's added another layer of meaning to the movie mm-hmm. just by the fact that this character moves like a dog, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's it's something that I think for most audiences, they will just like, it'll just go in one eyeball and out the other if such yeah, a thing is possible. Is. But, I mean, it does exist. So... I think what you're really talking about here, Zach, is because we're mixing visual, auditory, color, light, space, all of this stuff. Um, A book, if you have not read it, and it's a really good book, is Herbert Zettel's Sight, Sound, and Motion, Applied Media Aesthetics. And what it looks like, what it looks like, looks at, sorry, is it breaks down these things. It talks about well, why is lighting important? What does lighting mean? And, and how do you convey a message through light or through color or through uh, sound? And whether you use diegetic or uh, non-diegetic sound, uh, what do you do when we're talking about um, framing? And so he goes through this. It's, a, it's not a very big book. I mean, it's an oversized book, but it's only probably about an inch thick, maybe, mm. th- maybe 250 pages or something full of images um, I've got a copy somewhere around here. In fact, I probably have a couple of copies. Um, it's been continuously in print since I want to say the seventies, because when I was, even before I came to college, my cousins, um, who are producers, um, in, in news and, and other medium, um, had recommended it to me, uh, in the early eighties, mm. um, because they had used that when they were in college and it is, it is a fantastic book. I think it's up to seventh or eighth edition right now. Um, but it's, it's definitely worth checking out. I don't know if it's available in Kindle edition. Let me look here real quick. Uh, sight, sound and motion. And, uh, you know, for Brazil, if you want to talk about a movie that has with where everything's really tight, like the, the mise-en-scene, the, the sound, the cinematography, the light, it's all very tight. And I think it's very tight for two reasons. There's a clear and strong vision that's guiding everything. Mm. And everything is a set made out of paper. So, like, <laughs> everything has to be, like, super tight because it's very clear. Like, when they start pulling the desk on the wall, yeah. great image, great visual, so many yeah. great things about it. But you can tell that, like, the wall, even though it may be meant to be thin, is actually thinner than it's oh, supposed yeah. to be. It feels like a set. Yeah, um, like, it has, like, the rivets as it's a metal wall. Right, but you can totally right. see them put on the foot and it's, like, bending it. Yeah, like, absolutely. His, his foot, like, scuffs paint off and, of the wall. And and there's a lot of little moments in, in Brazil where you see those seams, you know, probably just because of the time when it was made. Mm. Um, and probably because they blew their budget on the giant samurai <laughs> puppet um, or costume. But... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's actually, like, just shot for shot, like, a really tight, like, always very motivated oh, story. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're probably not going to buy Sight, Sound, and Motion because it's listed as a academic text. Oh, geez. So you can buy it for $220, huh. or you All can right. rent it for $57. Mm. But it is a fantastic book, and yeah. I, I will find my copy, and I will loan it to you. In fact, I know I have multiple copies, because I bought a copy in the 80s, and then I've had like three or four copies since then. Oh, so sure. yeah. it, it's it's fantastic. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, and I think it would help address some of the questions you're having, right? Because isn't that what you're talking about? I mean, I, I think is, you know, as a filmmaker, my the way I use my lighting is going to say something. The way I frame yeah. my shot is going to say, some, say something, well, and those two could conflict well, I mean, with is, my, you're my message. That, that crossing the line into heavy-handedness, like, are you, are you um, saying that maybe it's easier for film? No, I, I think it can easily tip 
into heavy handedness easy for film. Right, right. Um, I don't know. I, I well, don't know what my th- compare, I mean, compared to other mediums, like yeah, it's kind of hard. Yeah, and and songs is like okay, I want to get this point across. And a song, you basically have to do it. I yeah. mean, you can have a protest song. You can be a Bob Dylan where he's talking about. Madmen, drummers, and bummers, and stuff like or that. Or you could just have a song called "War." <laughs> right, exactly. Good God, exactly. So, what I mean, is actually, it "War" for? is like a perfect example of a super heavy-handed song. Mm. It just happens to have a, a funkalicious beat <laughs> yeah, that makes it a great song. <laughs> sure, um, but yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about something being super heavy-handed, "War" is a great mm. example. So, even in songs, you can be subtle and you can be heavy-handed. In movies, you can be subtle or heavy-handed. Um, you know, there's going to be plenty of people that are jamming to song. Like, well, a, a great example is uh, Fortunate Son, which they play yeah. at 4th yeah. of July fireworks yeah. displays. And basically, it's an anti-establishment, anti-America song. Mm-hmm. Um, but because rent, like because chunks of it sound good, they just play them. So it's a, it's a song where apparently they are too subtle to say like... I'm not a senator's son. It's mm-hmm. just too subtle. They should like it's it's so it's mm-hmm. subtle enough that it still gets thrown out as a patriotic song. Yeah. And so, do you think a, a creator of a film should be worried about an audience taking a meaning from their work that wasn't intended? So, uh, so like this, uh, Gilliam says he made it about consumerism. Uh, to a certain extent, but clearly there's some uh, very clear uh, government mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. things going on. Same thing with Zero Theorem, uh, where consumer is definitely a part, but I think there's some very uh, nihilistic versus uh, religion tones mm-hmm. throughout the film. So do you think a creator should be concerned about people reading uh, maybe too far into their work or deriving a different meaning than they ex- uh, needed, or should they just be okay that uh, you know, people con- got to meet from our film. It, I, th- I think, yes. I think you need to be aware of it. Yeah, right? I, actually, the word because I would use is resigned. Yeah, like, a creator should be resigned. Yeah, because to it's the fact happen. that people are going to find different meanings right. in their work. Yeah, and like if you're lucky, enough people will see your work that, to find different <laughs> meanings. Yeah, I've been I've been fortunate. You know, we do that uh, our uh, our uh, Dungeons and Dragons podcast, mm-hmm. right, and. I always feel very nice when somebody sends me these like really off the wall readings of what this means or what happens. <laughs> like somebody compared like the second season to like the like a Cold War and a Doomsday Clock. Right, right. <laughs> I was and and I was like I did not intend that in any way, not even a little bit, not even at all. But um, well, but then there's other things. Uh, little spoiler, uh, where the the season's really about family, sure. kind of stuff. I picked up on that like sure, more sure. than halfway th- or before the halfway point. Absolutely, absolutely. And there are still people now that are like, really? That's, that's what it's about? And, and both things are going to happen. Mm. A, people are going to read themes that you didn't intend into it. And B, people are going to miss your themes. Mm. Yeah. Even if they, even if you just go like, okay, I don't want anybody to miss this theme. I'm going to have characters literally say it out loud every 10 seconds. There's still going to be people who miss them. <laughs> yep. and, yeah. And yeah. As I mean, as a creator, certainly you have to be aware of, you know, what they call the unfortunate implications, but you can't necessarily let that control your story. And especially in a movie like this, because this movie actually delves into not only kind of the symbolism of certain things, because many of the events we see do not literally happen, Uh, notably uh, the death of uh, Robert De Niro's character. Cannot literally have happened the way that it's shown, <laughs> but there's there's a big undercurrent of almost absurdism in here, which is expected from someone who you know just got out of Monty Python. There are moments in here that you can feel the Python roots in, and you you look at them and you're like, oh, this is this is meant to definitely be absurd and ridiculous. But for the characters, it's straightforward. This is their life. This is their world. This is what they do. So, I mean, you can't even look at that necessarily and say, mm-hmm. what's the audience going to take away from it? Instead, I mean, he took a lot of things in here that are troubling and delivered them in a way that, yeah, you can read a lot of things into it. But as a creator, I don't know that you can – you you will kill yourself. You will go insane trying yeah. to figure out every <laughs> wacky thing 
that, you know, it, people believe that The Shining is Stanley Kubrick admitting that he faked the moon landing. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, which it is. is. Which is a theory I love. <laughs> yeah. I love that theory. Like, uh, if you've watched, uh, what is it called? Room 23? Yeah, 237. Yeah. Room yeah. 237, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's great. It's just so great because some of the stuff that they read into it's like, look at the carpet and look at the, <laughs> the place where he pauses and see all the other... And it's like, you're looking at it and it's like, dude, this carpet does totally look like Cape <laughs> Canaveral. Oh, my Kubrick. But that's the carpet that was there for mm. the... In the hotel. The hotel. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, Cooper could have been like, oh my god, guys, that looks totally like Cape Canaveral. Let's shoot it here. But he probably didn't. Mm-hmm. Chances are he actually didn't. But it's just it's just so so tasty. You know, it's just like, <laughs> let's yeah. indulge for a second in this. And it's like amazing all of the parallels and comparisons that you can draw. Mm. Yeah. What uh, else you got, Zach? Well, if, if we want to go into a different... Uh, I mean... A different uh, meaning for this film. Um, it's not crazy to assume that uh, Sam and Jill are the same person, right? That Jill is Sam's uh, like split personality person. I've never read it as, as that. Never. Okay, so we have this. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. Now, now, now show, show your work. Okay. Defend it. Uh, the first place that I think you can really start delving into this is a split personality uh, is they drive off to the thing and she, the refinery, which was a really weird. Let's just stop right there. That was a really weird part of the film because you have these, all these like really grand big buildings that they're totally just fake and recreated. Mm-hmm. And then you drive up to like a real refinery and it feel, felt too real yeah. to be in a refinery. It was so strange. Um, so they go and pick up the package and they go back to the mall, right? And he thinks they're, uh, she's about to pull off some terrorist plot, but they're fighting and they're fighting. And then. Uh, she gets pushed off frame. You don't see her, but there's that mirror there, and it's his reflection uh-huh. as his uh, his mom's friend right. is coming up. So there's that. Well, no. and, main, and mainly no one really interacts with her at all besides right. Jack, which is like a weird printout of a scanned face. So it's kind of, you know, okay, sure, sure, sure. sure. But I think the mirror thing is very... Uh, interesting. Sure. And then on top of that, after um, after she gets taken, um, he's looking for her and he can't find her. Right. Um, and then afterwards, she just shows up again. Mm-hmm. Like somehow she yeah, escaped. Yeah, out of nowhere. Yep. She's back. So yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot that you can say for that. And um, there's certainly... Well, and then this kind of dives into like my other question of... Uh, when does he actually go to Jack? And so all of this, all of this theory of Sam and Jill are the same person. Mm-hmm. Uh, when does he actually go to Jack and start getting his mind messed with? Mm-hmm. Uh, really, I think only works in the American release of the film. I haven't watched the full director's cut, and that's and you probably because that well, Rob has my four disc. Well, I asked for Criterion, Criterion, but I've watched all four. Of I've those. read some of the things that are left in in Gilliam's version, which I think uh, explain away some of my ideas sure. why they're the same person. Sure. Which is another one uh, towards the end of the film. Sam and Jill go into his mother's house to stay. Uh, he goes and he races her from the system. Mm-hmm. And he comes back and she's long haired. Right. Uh, as we see her in his dreams. And essentially what I take is his like his ch- child's bedroom uh, yeah. uh, locked inside of his bedroom. Yep. Or his mother's bedroom. His mother's bedroom. One, one, yeah. One. So there's a lot of weird uh, suppression of... You know, like Freudian mm-hmm. uh, sexual repression that can be seen there, uh, and then again, she just dies. I mean, th- at that point, it's certainly all right. in his mind. Um, but in, apparently, in the Gilliam version, uh, at the very end of the film, they tell her they tell Sam that they've killed Jill again, mm-hmm. which could right. be like, oh, okay, so maybe they're different people. 
Um, but oh, you once you get that, that you read done it. done that before. Sure. Uh, <laughs> once you kind of get that idea, again, it's like one of those weird sure. Kubrick is the moon landing conspirator. Uh, if you watch it, you can kind of start seeing more and more. Um, especially uh, she is like so opposite of him mm-hmm. in the way she just runs the world. She's more upfront and abrasive than Sam is. And eventually he um, kind of takes over this personality. Um, really after that bombing, kind of mm-hmm. he gets more abrasive and he's actually caring about people, which most people in the world... Uh, don't care when people are being killed by these right. bombs by the terrorists, and he actually starts caring and fighting, and that's when he really starts fighting back. Because um, at that point, we realize that the samurai is himself as he right. fights back against the uh, place. So it was a really weird rabbit hole of thought I went down while watching this movie again, which made me feel like <laughs> made me think uh, Brazil is like the heterosexual version of Fight Club. Interesting. Yeah. That's the thought I had. Of it's like, not uh, entirely unfound. No, I mean yeah. uh, he's he's projecting uh, like this manly man version in Fight Club, and he sure. is like this manly woman version almost. Like a, yeah, 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 yeah. She is a truck driver. Um, yeah, that's I I I can definitely see that. Um, I think there are points where the thesis is shaky but again yeah that's the glorious thing about like really weird movies is that you can just uh do that um my read of it which i think like i was like i i should come up with a different read than <laughs> the obvious one uh just for, which is what's the okay, obvious one? well the obvious one is um you know he's kind of having these hallucinations he gets caught at the end and then you kind of go through this uh, dream sequence, and then you realize that oh no, he didn't escape; he got caught. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, my uh, second read of it is that he's actually always in the chair, oh. and he oh. is recounting this whole thing in his head as part of the interrogation, mm-hmm. and that is why. It is frequently intercut with him flying and fighting the samurai because there's no direct thing. Like right. sometimes the samurai is a soldier, sometimes he's just like the bureaucracy, mm-hmm. um, and that's why this thing gets intercut. But it's like we never see him like jumping around like like a stupid man holding a pipe, pretending like it's a sword. We don't see him right. from the outside having mm-hmm. this hallucination. Most of this movie happens directly at um at the main character and the um, first scene of the movie is his dream of flying that's right well and it's if you look at the version of the film that we watched uh, up on itunes first shot of the film is in the clouds as we fade out from the um nuclear reactor interrogation room we go right back into the clouds so right. i yeah i could very much see your read being a lot closer the- than the the main issue that I have with this read is that it removes a lot of the fun p- parts of the movie. I don't, like well, for example the the bug the mistake. I mean, mm-hmm. as as a clerk, that could have been like a theory that he had is like, oh, maybe a fly fell into it or something like that. But the the fact that the whole movie gets spiraled out of like the simple typographical error is really lost when you think well. The main char- if this is the main mm-hmm. character going through this interrogation, he wasn't there. That's something that he made up. And granted, this movie was written by a person. So all coincidences yeah. are purposeful. But that's a level of suspension of this disbelief that usually going into a movie we're more than willing to take. Adding a second layer, it, you know, just kind of removes that. And mm-hmm. there's a couple other things that it's like, well, like, maybe the food wasn't so such slop. Maybe the... Um, the, maybe the air the conditioner mom's, breaking wasn't such a big deal. Yeah, maybe the mom's friend. Yeah, maybe those um, those repair guys weren't tied into it at all, and he's just drawing these connections. Maybe the mom's friend, like she just had a little bit of acid on her face, and <laughs> it wasn't a big deal. But he just saw her as this thing that was like slowly falling apart. Mm. Right? There's all these things, <laughs> which which is really funny when you think. 
uh, because Sam certainly doesn't have the highest opinion of himself, mm-hmm. uh, especially when he tells like Jill that she's faking that he's so attractive to him. He's like so blown away. Uh, but one of my favorite funny moments of this is at the Christmas party, mm-hmm. and you know the moms are trying to pair their right, siblings right. up, uh, or the, the, the their little, children, their little yeah. children up, right. and uh, she says how he's she's not really attracted to him right. either. But the, the I think the best facial reaction in the film is when he's leaving to go talk to Jack, and he like stumbles over her, and she has like this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, she yeah, like brushes great. him yeah. away. So good, yeah. I hmm. There's another movie that you might want to watch. I, I, I don't know if it it's tied into either one of your th- two theories, but at one point Sam does have a very literal psychotic break um, when he battles when he's battling the samurai and he's flipping back and forth between the quote real world and his fantasy dream. When I watch this, and again, maybe it's just because I've I don't think I've seen every Terry Gilliam film because I haven't seen um, certainly haven't seen uh, Tilting. And, yeah, no, I've seen that one. Tilting that's at windmills, the uh, hmm. uh, one oh, that's not that been made. Been no, it's never you see been the, released. Uh, Doctor Parnassus, or that's the one I haven't seen. That's the, the imaginary the... of Doctor Parnassus. Yeah, yeah that one. Yeah, with Heath Ledger, right? With Heath Ledger. Yeah, no, I haven't and, seen and, that one. Um, like Johnny I've been, I've been wanting Law, to watch that everyone. movie forever. Yeah, the, the Fisher King. Is that's one of my and so that's that's what I was getting to. Is the Fisher King has a sequence in here. There's sequences and parallels between Fisher King and Brazil where the characters are having a psychotic break. For Robin Williams, which, again, if you want to see a brilliant Robin Williams portrayal, watch him go crazy in The Fisher King. But he is being chased by the Black Knight uh, throughout the movie. And um, just the way that Gilliam portrays the Black Knight compared to the Robin Williams character and the way that Sam and the Samurai... Oh, Sam Samurai, uh, uh, f- interact with one another. Very similar in how they have their big battle uh, yeah. at the end. And both have a v- – it's very cathartic for both characters uh, in that scene. But when I was watching this the other day again, I was like, wow, that has a lot of similarities to Fisher King. And now I need to go see Fisher King again mm-hmm. because it yeah. is really, really good. It's it's not – you know, you've seen 12 Monkeys and, and – uh, um, this movie and Zero, uh, Theorem. Zero Theorem, but you probably haven't watched any of the other Gilliam movies. Uh, no, besides Holy Grail. You might really, really, really like Fisher King. Holy yeah, he did do it. I didn't he, think he directed Holy I think he co-directed it. Or no, he did the, is it just do the animation? Yeah, Terry did animation for Monty Python. I want to yeah. say that Graham Chapman directed Holy Grail, but that's neither. Yeah, I think he's, I think he has like a co-director credit on it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah but the thing that I really love about this film is, and uh, uh, be ready to gasp, gentlemen, <laughs> never seen this movie. <gasps> what? Never seen. I have never seen Brazil. And there are two reasons why. One, I confused it in my head for a long time with the boys from Brazil that I saw a little bit of. It. Oh, no, that's a total different, <laughs> total yeah, different film. I know. And two... A long time ago, somebody told me that this movie was just basically a badly done 1984. And so that little voice was in the back of my head. And I, you know, I don't, I don't go and I don't watch movies. But watching this movie today for the first time, literally, I, I ended it like a half hour before we started recording. I was struck by the serious, the, the, the fascinating ways that you could extrapolate the parallels of this future world of 1939 to things that are happening in 2014. There, oh, yeah. there were, there were oh, some man. very weird it's things. Yeah. And it's, a, it's amazing how, you know, I, I don't know if it's a question of Terry Gilliam being really good at satire <laughs> and being kind of prescient about society, or maybe the fears that we have that everything is worse than it's ever been mm-hmm. and everything's going down the crapper are the same fears that they had in 85 and the same fears that they yeah. had in 57. But I mean, yeah. my God, when, when, that's, yeah. when the floor... If the floor drops in that first scene in Mr. Buttle's house, and in <laughs> come the armored, oh my god, I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. A little and, too close to home. And we're talking, uh, we are recording this the day where the, all the CIA pages yes. of all the torture in Guantanamo Bay just released. Yep. And we're talking about uh, Brazil, where people um, are, even are supposedly sympathetic, empathetic. Uh, hero character of Sam as just totally blasé about the fact that his friend just tortured a person to death and is right. just right moving yeah. like no one doesn't even like phase him. 
It's very, very strange. There's, there's a point where what, he discovers that it was his friend who killed Buttle, and it's in the middle of yeah. the conversation, and it's just kind of like, oh, yeah. Well, we can't do that then. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, uh, just really freaky sequences. Yeah. Oh my god. It, and of it, course, it, everybody has a screen, no matter where they go. Yes, and it's it's not like a personal screen, but it sweeps out of everywhere. You know, it's it it was really really interesting commentary on if you look at you know and you try and extrapolate what culture might be like. I feel like Terry did a did a pretty good job. Yeah, you should. Uh, I think he did a really good job with uh, commentary on social technology mm-hmm. in Zero Theorem. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, so if you want to see him play more with that, because even in that movie, it's really interesting. Because the first thing that ever struck me about Brazil, the first time I watched it, was those giant like magnifying lenses yeah. over yeah, the tire, yeah. tire screen. So those are just crazy, and they're so interesting to look I, at. I love that. Yeah, just real, uh, real, real products though. Back in the day, oh, really? your TV was very small. You had a 13-inch yeah. screen. You want it to be bigger. You put one of these big magnifying glasses in <laughs> so front of weird. it, and you had a bigger screen. Uh, that's crazy. And then in Zero Theorem, a lot of the computer consoles, their screens are more hor- or more vertical. Like, mm-hmm. they're taller than they are wide, which, right. is, again, is really strange to look at. Paper is taller than it is wide. Oh. Yeah, but this screen's in Zero Theorem. I'm like, yeah, yeah. not even proportional to paper. <laughs> What else, Zach? Um, what else? I think uh, I I loved his his dolly moves throughout this film. I mean, I think the best one is just uh, information. Oh God, what is Sam in the beginning like recording or something where they just document stuff? It's not he's not information retrieval right. yet. Um, no. but those dolly moves from like the front all the way to the back, with just people just scurrying around oh, yeah, with all yeah, their yeah. papers yeah. and their typewriters and it. Oh man. Those are just really great. And there's just a lot of little subtle um, camera moves throughout the piece. There's yeah. uh, certainly some steady cam shots uh, as they go through some of the halls. Um, just really good. But the miniature stuff, I would assume there's miniature yeah, stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is like how they did way some, before a lot of digital oh, effects. Yeah. Yeah. How they got some of the sets to look like that is just mind-boggling. Yeah. Amazing. And what's really interesting is in some of those early sequences – and I think he starts in the Department of Records. Yeah, it feels yeah, kind of yeah. like a Busby Berkeley musical with everybody mm-hmm. moving all together yep. and people. And it's really cool. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, there's a point really early in the film where we're just seeing someone watching the television and he's talking. That's the British presenter. Then there's this massive explosion just yeah. right in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I did not see that coming at all. And then we cut to that weird musical sequence and then it gets all it just like. This, first of all, Terry knows how to start a movie with that explosion. But second yeah. of all, all of the stuff that is in here should not fit together as seamlessly as it that, does. That's why I said the I'm world that the world is so mind bending yeah. in the way well, that it's, it, that it's it works. Thorough, really, is is yeah. what it is. There's this kind of there is this central set of themes to it, and they say, okay. So let's extrapolate that to a bunch of pencil pushers. All right. Now let's extrapolate that to like the basically the rock star bureaucrat, like basically your CIA. What do they behave like? Mm -hmm. And that's when you get him like walking into like what appears to be an empty hallway and first seeing them like way behind them, like this mass of people going and then like disappearing into another hallway until they finally catch up to us. Right. Mm -hmm. Two departments in the same bureaucracy and just miles apart like visually aesthetically and yet clearly still a part of this like really super crappy dingy awful amazing world yeah it's it's i mean that scene in particular had me going oh wait i worked in something that was very heavy yes bureaucratic not as bad as this but it was i mean just to just to show you how crazy this is um at the place that i worked before when it came time to hiring an adjunct professor, even though the classes were signed up for, so if the if you were talking about a winter class, those mm-hmm. classes were already assigned, already scheduled in June of the previous year. February of the year that the courses are being taught, contracts are still going through the system. Jeez. 
Holy crap. Because of all the little dots and periods and things. And if you don't have it exactly right, they kick it back to you. And you either have to start it again or it gets lost in a shuffle or this or that happens. And there are times where you're up in the ivory tower of Jack and you're able to do whatever it is that you want to do without recourse. And there are times when you're on on level 30 and you are running back and forth listening to the Yes, No Man. And then and you're given limited resources to work with. And then there are times when you're in the bowels of the system, uh, <laughs> literally working with pipes and tubes trying to make the bloody thing work yep. and all you can really do is be a cog is take one thing f- take something from someone and give it to someone else yes and like that becomes your job yes and it was infuriating so i can <laughs> a lot of, especially that scene in particular i was like oh my god think I, I literally shook me in my seat of wow that was yeah. that is so many businesses that i know Oh, yeah. That's every call center I've ever worked in. Now, luckily, I have a job that I'm like Harry Tuttle. I swing in on a zip line with my special tool belt, and I fix something, and I swing right the F out. Yeah, because Matthew, Matthew was actually fired from that job uh, like about four weeks ago, but he still goes, and he still fixes things, <laughs> even though he's yeah, not actually, in the system. They're going to they're gonna fix the glitch. But. And wasn't it amazing? Again, I, I've never seen this movie. All of a sudden, in the middle of this film, Here's freaking uh, Robert De Niro. Yeah, yeah, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro, I, I swear he is such a, like, if he's not the main character, I just always find him so weirdly yeah. out of place. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's like he has a commanding presence or he's just like a giant ham. But, like, I recently saw Stardust, mm-hmm. and it is so weird is when he weird. pops in there in the yeah. middle of the movie. And I'm like, it feels like, I mean, it feels like a glitch in the Matrix. Yeah, it yeah. feels like all of a sudden all of the doors are brick walls when he shows up it's just so weird but i think part of that is terry gilliam as the director Mm -hmm. being able to nab robin williams to play and again you see robin williams playing zany crazy characters and before the fisher king i think he played maybe one serious character in a pbs uh drama that, that was before good morning vietnam uh, no, it would have been after Good Morning Vietnam. So that was probably But that. Good Morning Vietnam was still over the top, you know, crazy sure, funny. Sure, sure. And even though he was being a serious character, most of the time he was being a silly character and ad-libbing. In Fisher King, he is very, I mean, it's very, I mean, his craziness is part of the character. But in, able to, in order to get um, Robin Williams or to get uh, Robert De Niro or anything, any of these other actors. I mean, uh, who was in, uh, uh, zero theorem, um, Christoph Walsh. Is that Christoph it? Waltz is the main character. Yeah. Matt Damon and Matt there. Damon is in there. I mean, just and in order to nail, nab these people, you have to have a reputation of, I want to work with this person. Uh, I'm Bruce Willis and 12 monkeys. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially for a non Bruce Willis role almost, right, right. uh, to, to, to do that and to get a good performance out of him in that too is surprising. Just get to, like, Brad Pitt. I think too. break a phone. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you yeah. uh, t- what do you take away from all this, Zach? Um, take there's, and there's a lot to take away from Brazil. Um, even though we didn't get into it from like the business side, uh, there's a whole. I mean, there's a book called The Battle of Brazil. You can uh, maybe go that's grab. the one that maybe that's the one that I had read maybe years ago. Yeah, the, that details the fight Gilliam had with Studio X on how the film would be cut, uh, how it would be shown, and, and some weird tactics he did. To make sure people saw the cut he wanted to show so by giving of, like yeah. free screenings at UC well, USC and stuff. So that story was they invited him to come and speak yeah. on campus to be a guest lecturer or something. And he's like, sure. And I'd also like to bring uh, and show the class the entire film of Brazil, this film that I just finished. And then what the university did, or I don't know if he encouraged the university to do this, but uh, the university leaked out that they were going to premiere, you know, premiere this and show it. And so he walked in and the, in the room was just packed with people. Mm-hmm. And by that time, the studio had heard about this, said, no, you can't show it. Right. And so he's trying to explain to the class. And while the class is going on, he's going back and forth with the studio over what he can show or not show. And finally, they agree to let him show one clip. And he took that as, well, the entire movie's a clip. Yeah. So here's oh, the yeah, entire yeah. movie. And yeah. then he did that for two weeks. Right. Of every day. And then the local um, um, reviewers uh, found out about it 
And they went down and watched it, and that's how he won the, uh, was it the L.A. Film Critic Award yeah. or something? Mm-hmm. Just based on showing it down at UCLA and, and, or and, wherever, USC. And I think for a version that wasn't the theatrical version, too, wasn't yeah. it? And there, are, you know, there are so many different versions mm-hmm. of this film floating around. If you do get the Criterion Collection, it does include all of the various cuts, including the Terry Gilliam final cut. Yeah. Um, in that collection, there's the TV broadcast cut, there's the theatrical <laughs> yeah. cut, there's the studio release, and if there you, is the you can broadcast. Read all about oh, them, uh, yeah, and they are all like the, the studio, the, the TV cut is like 90 minutes, and everything is chopped up. There's like a narration sequence in the beginning. Is nuts to hear about how much they grew oh, yeah. this movie. It's crazy, um, but I think our big conversation about um, creator message, I think, was something really good that we touched on. They can really take away from Brazil because um, it's really one of those movies that just makes you think and like forces you to uh, like, like address certain things. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's possible to just watch Brazil from a purely uh, escapism point of view all the way through. I mean, certainly, I think you could watch certain scenes, and um, but I think Brazil is a film that kind of forces you to think yeah. about certain things. One thing which is. Um, which is a good, I mean, a good quality. I think some film directors have that, where they can do well, a big blockbuster movie and still make you think. The power of surrealism is that when you show something that's realistic, you're telling people this is an apple. You're looking at a table, all this mm-hmm. stuff. When you make something surreal, you force people to meet you, like to to come to you as a mm-hmm. as a creator, and that movement, that leap is completely full of their biases, their yeah. ideas, their opinions. So that's why Brazil makes you think, is because in your trying to understand the movie, you have to fill in all the gaps with your own personal experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Brazil's awesome. Uh, anything else? Um, oh, Aubrey, watch it. Aubrey, let's see. She had a, like a migraine when I was trying to watch this film. So she was laying on the couch as I'm watching it. Uh, so she was floating in and out of consciousness, mm-hmm. uh, not completely a watching terrible, all the time. A terrible movie for that to happen. Yes. Uh, the next morning she asked, um, or I think she, it was about 45 minutes in, 50 minutes in. She's like, what's happening? I just said, just go back to sleep. Just go to sleep. Cause it's not, it's, it'll take too long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, she didn't really watch it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I think that's it. All right. It has been a great episode of Zach on Film. Uh, com. That should be up and running uh, by the time. Hopefully, this. yes. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, you can comment on anything we've talked about uh, or give your own thoughts and readings into Brazil on the podcast posting page. Uh, you can go ahead, use our Amazon affiliate link to go do all of your holiday shopping. You can buy the Criterion version of Brazil. Hopefully my parents did. I asked them for it. And that would be so kind of them. They don't listen to the podcast, so they're not going to hear this plea. <laughs> uh, but you can certainly buy that uh, version of Brazil or even, uh, I'm, I'm guess, probably the Battle of Brazil book detailing That's what I'm looking the for. fight uh, between Gilliam and the studio about that. It's not going to cost you any extra, uh, but a little bit will come back to Major Spoilers to help keep the site afloat. Next week, it's the big one. The last one on the list. Citizen Kane on Zach on Film. 